You'll remain standing with me. If you have a Bible, open it up. Uh, We'll remain standing for the public reading of Scripture. If you have a Bible, if you'll turn to Acts chapter 2 with me, starting uh, in verse 42, going on to verse 47. Acts 42, going to 47. Uh, in this text, this is an image of the, of the early church. Christ has just risen, and now uh, the world has changed, and the church is being formed. And in Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47, we get a beautiful image of the early church and how they were devoted to worship. It says this, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. May God bless this word in your life. You may be seated at this time. Well, good morning, church. How are you today? It's raining again, but you're here You have braved the storm. It seems like about once a week we have a flood here in Houston. And it seems like whenever the weather people tell us to expect a flood, it's not that big of a deal. And whenever they don't, all of a sudden it's like a really big deal. Raise your hand if you were sleeping maybe Friday or Saturday morning and your phone was like blazing with all these like like warnings right here. See? This horrific like sound in the middle of the night. For those of you who don't know, for those of us that have phones that are connected to the internet, the, somehow the government and the weather service can directly shoot a warning to our phone, which is very helpful. Uh, it, it's a safety precaution, but when you're sleeping and you hear this horrific sound, it's kind of terrifying. And so I got word the entire, I think it was like Saturday morning, that there was a massive flood going on. And by the time I woke up, it had subsided. But you would drive across the street and you would see all of the debris on the, on the side of the road. And it's just like, I think the, the drains are clogged up or something. But that has absolutely nothing to do with what we're talking about today. But that's just been, been what's going on in my life. So what we're talking about today is worship. And I'll be honest, when it comes to this topic, I just don't feel, I don't feel worthy to even like talk about it. And I think that's a good thing, right? I think all of us would probably say when it comes to worshiping God, we're, we're a little bit flawed in it, right? But it's, it's kind of intimidating to get up here and talk about this idea of worship because it is so massive and it is so big, Because if you really know who God is, and you know how amazing and awesome he is, and how he gave his only son on the cross for you and for me, when you see that he's all-powerful, all-loving, could have done anything to us, and chose to love us as his children, when you see he's that good and that amazing, all of a sudden you're like, I just don't know what exactly... Oh, of course. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. I want to be married to Jesus. 
Okay, well, thank you. Appreciate that. So thank you so much. Uh, back to what we were saying. So whenever you worship God, right, whenever you, you worship him and you see how big and how amazing he is, all of a sudden it's as if your worship just doesn't feel good enough. H- have you ever felt that way? Have you ever felt as if like whenever you're singing these songs that, that maybe what you're offering to him isn't good enough to give him back what he has given you? Have you ever felt that way? Raise your hand. Have you ever felt like you don't pray enough to honor God? You ever feel that way? I feel that way all of the time. I feel as if like the worship that I give God is not good enough. And yet here's the amazing fact that in the lack of our worship, God still loves us wholly and completely. That in everything that we give him and and the lack of it, he returns to us complete love, complete protection, and complete satisfaction in every single thing that we do. And it is not only out of the goodness of God, but it's out of his goodness towards us that a disciple of Jesus is devoted to worship. When you look at Acts chapter 2, I mean, Acts chapter 2, it's a community devoted to the act of worship. It says, uh, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they receive their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. It's a community of worship. It's a community of a massive love for God. And yet here's the problem. When was the last time you ever heard the word worship used in culture? Like, when was the last time? Like, and I used this reference in, in terms of discipleship not too long ago. I said that it, discipleship is hard in, in America today because we don't have a framework for that word. When someone says, I'm a disciple, that they don't even know what that means. It's not, I just don't know how to be a disciple of Jesus. I'm not even sure what a disciple is. And yet in our world today, we use the word worship, and we, we kind of stay away from that word because it's too all-encompassing. It's kind of too scary, And so what I want to do today is, because I don't think we have much of a framework for really what even worship is, it's going to be hard to be devoted to something of which we don't know what it is, I want to answer three questions for you this morning. Number one, what is worship? Number two, why do we worship? Because I've always wondered that. And number three, how do we worship? So number one, worship. What does that word mean? Worship literally means to bow down, to joyfully surrender to. Worship means to, to glorify someone or something. I heard a really good definition that I kind of want this to be kind of our, our focus this morning on what worship is. It's from Tim Keller, who's a really well-known preacher in New York. And he defines worship this way. He says that worship is the act of ascribing ultimate value to something in a way that engages your entire being. So worship is the act of ascribing ultimate value in a way that engages your entire being. And this is such a good definition of worship. Because oftentimes when we think of worship, we think of it's what I give my time to or my money to. Worship is what I think about. It's what I bow down to. And and while those are good definitions, ultimately the reason behind that, the reason why we bow down to something, the reason why we give our all to something is because, as Tim Keller says, because we believe it is of ultimate value. Whatever you believe in your life, like think about you. Like, like, let's go really deep into your soul this morning, really deep into your motivations, into your existence in this life. Think about it. What do you ascribe 
ultimate value to? What do you want more than anything? Like, like, like just think right where you're at to yourself. Think about it. Like, like, like in your life, what do you ascribe ultimate value to? Some people would say, well, maybe it's money, if we're honest. Other people would say, maybe it's pleasure. Other people would say, maybe it's romantic relationships. What I mean by ultimate value to, what, what I mean by that is, what is the thing that controls your happiness? Like, if, if this thing is going well, then all is well in the universe. And if this particular thing is not going well, then my whole life is falling apart. Maybe it's your health. Maybe it's your job. Maybe it's the approval of others or, or the lack thereof in your life. Maybe it's your hobby. Maybe it's the sports team that you root for. Maybe it's yourself. Because you see, whatever you attribute ultimate value to in this world is the thing that you will worship. It is the thing that you will give your time to. It is the thing that you will give your money to. It is the thing that you will give your happiness and your life to. And while all the things I just mentioned are, are very good things, everything God, that, that I mentioned is given by God money and jobs and romantic relationships, but Jesus has said to seek the kingdom of God first, meaning worship and bow down to Christ first, and all of those things will come to you. When you look at Acts chapter 2, because think about it this way, what did Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47, what did that community value above everything else? Was it money? No. I mean, they were giving all their money away to help those in need. Were they valuing romantic relationships above everything else? Maybe, but it doesn't mention that. Were, were they valuing their own personal achievement and advancement in their careers? It doesn't really sound like it. You see, whenever you follow God first and foremost, and church, I have seen this so many times in my life, everything else comes with God because God owns and controls everything. And much like the woman at the well, when Jesus encounters her, and, and what happens at the woman at the well is she's kind of living a life that's not honoring the Lord, and she's coming just living an aimless life, drawing water at the well, and Jesus meets her and asks her for some water, and or she says, well, I can't get any water because I don't have a well, you know. And then he basically goes on telling, no, 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 what I'm here to give you is not just this normal everyday water, but I'm here to give you living water. And basically what you go on to find is that the lady has a sin problem in her life ultimately because she has a worship problem. The reason why we sin and the reason why we fall short of God's glory is not because we're trying, I think, oftentimes to just be stupid. We, we just value these things way too much. We, we idolize these things so much that we're willing to go against what God has told us in order to achieve them and to receive them and to have them. And so when it comes to worship and how a disciple of Jesus is devoted to, to worship, the primary focus we're trying to do here is to see who God is, like what Christ has done, to be aware of that, and then to place ultimate value in our lives solely upon what Jesus has done. Because worship is the act of ascribing ultimate value to something in a way that engages your entire being. And then we say it engages your entire being, so it's like an emotional experience. 
Some of us, that's uncomfortable. We're the thinkers, right? We, we feel weird, like, lifting our hands in worship, right? But that's a, it's kind of an act of worship and surrender, right? Most of us here are not big dancers, right? Uh, you're probably not a huge dancer. Other of us, we're all into the emotions and the feelings, and we're not really into the truth. And so we, we kind of have the feeling of it, and yet we don't really think through it enough. We, we have kind of a shallow understanding of theology and God's goodness. And so our ability to really know in our hearts how good he is is so limited because we're so focused on what we've already seen that we're not going any deeper. And yet worshiping God is ascribing ultimate value to him in a way that engages your whole being. So your emotions and your thinking and your life and your time and your money and everything is is directed to him. And you receive joy through the act of worshiping him. And so the second question is this then. So why do we worship? Why do we worship? Okay. So the first thing is this, and this one is going to sound simple, but I I really want to to walk through you, walk with you in this. Number one, we worship because of who God is, okay? We worship because of who God is. I know this one sounds basic, and it sounds simple, and it sounds uh, commonplace, We worship because of who God is. We worship because he is good. I want to read you a text in Matthew chapter 28, whenever the disciples have seen Jesus risen from the dead. So they have, they've just seen that he's risen from the dead, that Christ had said he was going to return, and now he's here again. He has died for the sins of the world, and he has risen again. And I want you to see what the disciples do the moment they see that he's risen It says, so they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy, and they ran to tell the disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshiped him. The first thing the disciples did when they saw that Christ was risen was they worshiped him. They worshiped him. The first thing that happened when they, when they saw him was they, they said, you really are who you say that you are. And whenever you see who Christ really is, you, you worship him and, and you bow down before him. We don't worship God just because he says to worship him. We worship God ultimately because he is every good thing that he says that he is. It's kind of like this image of um, a jeweler. And uh, this lady brings in this jewel one day to him, and, and she brings it into him, and, and she says, I've come across some hard times, and so I have this jewel, and it's been passed down from one family member to the next. And, and she says, I'm kind of on hard financial times, and so I want you to take this jewel, and I want you to let me know what exactly it's worth. She's like, it's probably not worth all that much, but it might be worth a little bit. So evaluate it for me, and then let me know what you think. And so he begins to look at this thing that she has given him. She begins to look at this jewel. And he gets out the little, you know, the little jeweler's eyepiece. And he begins to look at it. He begins to analyze it. And and before you you know it, he begins to like breathe really hard. He begins to like like pant. And he begins to kind of almost shake. He's like, you have no idea how valuable this is. He goes, this jewel is probably the most valuable thing on the face of the planet of which the, the ability to, and, and the practices to make this specific kind of jewel no longer exist. 
He goes, the practices long ago vanished that could create this jewel so there will never be another jewel like this one. It is of ultimate value. It is of ultimate worth. And the lady says, well, that's pretty awesome. And so she takes the jewel back and she goes home and begins to evaluate if she wants to sell it or not. But the lady goes back with the same exact jewel that she's always had. It's no different. It's no different than the moment when she went into the jeweler to ask what it was worth. And yet she leaves now knowing that it is of ultimate value. See, I think the problem in our world today is not that the majority of Americans don't believe in God. Because even today in polls, like the majority of Americans will usually say they believe in God. The problem is we don't know how valuable God is. The, the problem often isn't like not believing in God, but not reading his scriptures enough and not praying enough, not gathering with the church enough, not, not, not leaning into our faith enough to, how, to know how amazing he really is. You see, if, if worship is ascribing ultimate value to something, then we have to examine how valuable it really is. And the problem in our lives is we have things like relationships and we have things like money and we have things like jobs and they, they come and go, they're up and down. We, we consistently begin to realize that all these things are placing our, our value and our faith in. They're not as valuable as we really think that they are. And I think for me, one thing that used to kind of trip me up a lot was I, I, I didn't really know why God always asked us to worship him. Like I thought maybe God just kind of sounded insecure and like power hungry and he needed me to constantly affirm how good he was. And then I was kind of looking through it this week and I remember back when I was in college, a professor said it this way. He says, God asks you to worship him because if God did not ask you to worship him, he wouldn't really be that good. That when God asks us to worship him, it's because he is that good. It's because he is that full. It's because he, he is that satisfying when God tells us to, to, to believe in Christ for the forgiveness of our sin and the renewals of our soul, he says that because it really does work. We really do receive the Holy Spirit. We really are cleansed of our sins. When God asks you to work, like, like if God did not ask us to worship him, he wouldn't be God. He wouldn't be all-knowing. He wouldn't be all-good. Like, like he really delivers on everything that he tells us to worship him for. And so we worship God because of who he is. The second reason we worship God is because of this. Worship is a feast of joy for our souls. And we always forget this one, right? We, we always forget this. In Psalm 95, the psalmist says, Oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the Lord, to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. Every time worship is mentioned in the Bible, what you find is happiness is usually included. Every time people are worshiping, life is good, all is well, people are happy. I heard a, a, a friend of mine once who said he went through cancer, and they were asking him about uh, kind of what he had learned in this process of having cancer. And he said one of the things that he learned was that oftentimes the, the solution to the darkness that we feel in our souls or the pain or the sadness or the depression we feel um, you know, because going through cancer is a pretty tough thing, right? He said, what I learned was we often immediately resort to petitionary prayers for help from God, meaning I say, God, help me with this, and I'm hoping he helps me. God, do this. And so we're asking God for things. He goes, we think that by asking God for help, he will give us help, which he will. 
But he said, what I really found was actually, oftentimes, the solution, even in the Psalms, for sadness is worship. Sometimes the, the, the whole point is that something is off in our soul. Something deep down is not working properly. Something is not understanding the world for as glorious place as God has made it. And so oftentimes the, worship, the, 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 the solution isn't just to kind of constantly pray, God, fix this, and God, fix that, and fix this. But it's to worship God because when we have a sadness in our souls, somehow we have forgotten the goodness of God. We have forgotten the beauty of this universe. We, we, we have forgotten how wonderful of a creation that we live in and how much God loves us and that he sent his son to die for us on the cross, that he is giving us gifts, that God is using us in this world. And when we worship him, we remember how good the world is and how much he loves us and how close he is to us. Because you see, worship is a feast of joy for your soul. Worship is the moment where you see who God is and you enjoy it. He is all-knowing. He knows everything about me, and he still loves me. Praise God. He, he made me the way that I am, and he's transforming me out of my sin nature. Praise God. He created this beautiful world, like, like the things like creation and music, all these things that I enjoy. God has made me this way. Every time I feel joy, it's realizing that God has given me the ability to feel a beautiful thing. The beauty of marriage and, and having your children and all these wonderful things in the universe. Like God has created these things and given them to us as gifts and we worship him for it. You see, worship is a feast of joy for your soul. But then here's the most important part. How do we actually do this, right? So you say, okay, John, you've made the case, right? Worship is ascribing ultimate value to something that engages your entire being, right? So it's seeing something of ultimate value, whatever that is, right? And worshiping with my time and my money and my efforts and my energies and my thoughts. We worship God ultimately because he is God, because he's amazing. We worship because it's a feast of joy for our souls, okay? So that's good. But, but how do we worship and the first thing is this. The first thing you need to worship is this. We worship in community. Corporate worship. I don't know about you, but the first place that I ever heard the gospel was in a service like this. I was living my life like most people do, doing my thing, aimless, meaningless existence. Well, I mean, I, I show up in this world and I'm here and I'm like, so what am I doing, right? Is there anything beyond just the mundane, everyday stuff? The first thing we need to worship is community. I mean, notice verse 46. It says, and day by day, attending the temple together. Go back to Psalm 95. Oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the Lord. Let us come into his presence with singing and thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise. Oh, come, let us worship him and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker, for he is our God, and we are his people of his pasture. What you need to worship is community. I mean, like, okay, it's college football season right now, right? And so imagine this. Imagine it's uh, Texas A&M and Alabama in a big game this coming weekend, right? And so you know if the, when that, when that kind of game is going on, everybody shows up. It's at Kyle Field in College Station, and you're heading there to watch it, right? Alabama, A&M, big production, massive college football game. And imagine you show up there to watch the football game. 
and the, the normal game goes on, all the players and all the coaches and everybody's there, and you roll into the stadium and you're the only person there. And the game begins and you're sitting there and you're watching it. How unelectric of an environment would that be? Now imagine it's like it normally is, and there's 100,000 college students who should be studying, but they've decided it's a good thing to show up at a football game, right? The atmosphere is electric. There is no human in all of the world who can deny the value of a large group of people doing something together. I can't explain it. I'm sure there's science behind it. I'm sure there's psychology behind it and sociology. But the difference between you watching a college football game by yourself and 100,000 other screaming fans, it's, it's tangible. You can see the difference. And worship is the exact same way. You see, you were not just created to worship, but to worship in community. If we don't like worshiping in community with other people, we're not going to like heaven, right? I don't think heaven is like a bunch of just solo rooms and you never see anybody else. I, I think it's a pretty corporate thing. And for those of you who are introverts, don't worry, that will be cured in heaven, I believe, okay? I think all the introvertedness in us, I think, that, I think that's a thing of the fall. And so I think that whenever we go to heaven, I think that might be eradicated. At least maybe the bad parts of it. We worship God in community. Community helps us. There are times I show up here and I'm not feeling it, but you are. Maybe there's times when you show up weak and yet I can, I can help ignite your heart for the act of worship. We need each other. C.S. Lewis had a really close group of friends. It was him, a guy named Ronald, and a guy named Charles. And one day Charles suddenly passed away. And now it was just C.S. Lewis and this guy named Ronald in this group together. They would talk about theology and books and literature and all these different things together. And C.S. Lewis thought that, well, maybe since Charles has like passed away now, maybe now him and Ronald would become really good best friends. He thought they would get even closer. And yet C.S. Lewis said he was shocked to find that actually in a weird way, him and Ronald became less good friends. Like somehow they, they kind of drifted apart even more, that, that he thought more time with this person would enable him to get closer to him. And yet because Charles wasn't in the group, there was this dynamic that was missing. Like there was a part of Ronald that never came back whenever Charles passed away. He said this is one of his greatest kind of practical understandings for why community is so important. It's because we need each other to be each other. We need each other to be each other. And for your worship and for my worship to be full, to see who God is, I need other perspectives. I need other songs. I need other sermons. I need other ideas. And we bring these things together with Christ at the center and we worship God together. I learn from you and I hope that you learn from me. So the first thing we need in worship is community. Second thing we need here is truth. And I won't, I won't belabor this point. Um, Jesus said in John 14, I am the way, I'm the truth, and I'm the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. What it means to worship is to ascribe ultimate value to someone, which that someone is God. And whenever you ascribe ultimate value to someone, you listen to them, you obey them, you surrender to them, and you submit to them. 
And what we often do, I think, in our modern world is we like the idea of worshiping God, and yet we kind of want to pick and choose the things that we think and the things that we worship. And, and we read the Bible, and we kind of take out the parts that maybe we don't like, the things that kind of bother us. And yet what happens is if we come to God and we create our own God, right, and we take out the things we don't like out of the Bible and we put them to the side, what we have essentially have created is our own God. We have placed the ultimate value on ourself, on our own mind, on our own perspective, you see, if you, if you come to worship someone, and that's someone being God, what you will find is that he has to be in charge. He has to be in control. That to worship in truth means sometimes your God should offend you, and sometimes your God should disagree with you, because he knows better than you. And part of the Christian life is going as far as we can and realizing I can't go any further, my joy is limited, my existence is limited, I need someone to carry me further. And as the Christian church, what we believe is that that continuation is found in the person and in the work of Jesus Christ. We come to a truth that is greater to ourselves and we submit to it. We don't create our own God. We don't, because if we create our own God, then we isolate ourselves. We can't worship in community if your God's kind of like this and my God's kind of like that and their God's kind of like that. We're, we're off in our own little isolated place. And so as the church, the beauty of this is we have seen the power of Jesus. We, we believe he is who he said he was. We believe he was God. We believe he's renewing and redeeming the world. And we, we come around him together and we worship him The series is called Devoted. We're trying to be more like Jesus, and we are devoted to that endeavor. And so as believers, we come here worshiping one God together. You know, part of the best part of the Christian life is how offensive it is sometimes, right? Like the, 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 the narrow sexual ethic that the Christian life has, like, like that's part of the, the benefit of it. It's like a new existence, a, a new way of life. And so what we need is community, but we also need truth. And this is the last thing. And this is something that Lindsay alluded to during her talk. We worship through obedience, or we worship through authenticity. We want to be authentic. We, we want the things that we worship to be transformative in our lives. In Romans 12, as Lindsay also read, Romans 12, 1 through 2, Paul, writing to the church in Rome, says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, right? By truth, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And as I close this morning, I want to I want to examine almost a contradictory statement, like in, in this text, like a phrase that we say all the time, and I don't, I don't think we see the depth of it. He says, as a living sacrifice. Think about that. That makes no sense. Because a sacrifice is something that you sacrifice, right? When you sacrifice something, it, it's like, you know, back in the Old Testament, you would sin, and you'd bring, like, one of your livestock, and you'd sacrifice it on the altar to atone for your sins, right? That's kind of what you would do. And yet he's talking a living sacrifice. Like usually when you sacrifice something, it's over, it's gone, it's dead, it's buried. And yet he's referring to us as living sacrifices. It almost kind of resembles the moment when Jesus says in the Gospels, those of you who lose your life will find it. And those of you who will try to save your life, you will lose it. 
It's almost as if we have to die to be born again. It's almost as if to really find the life that we want, we have to allow the life that we don't want to, to pass away in order to enter into this new reality with Jesus. He says you're a living sacrifice, meaning that you are living. You, you, you've been made alive in Christ, and yet you have sacrificed who you were. And that's what worship is, because we have this inherent understanding that like we are of ultimate value, that we make the decisions, that we call the shots. And the second that you begin to enter into God worship, to worshiping Christ, all of a sudden you place ultimate value on him with your whole being and no longer on yourself. And yet what Jesus says is that in that sacrifice, we then gain life. That by losing our life, we then find our life. And church, this is the Christian journey. And so if you're here this morning and, and you, don't, you don't like where you're at and, and you're evaluating your own life and everything that you've done and all the principles you've applied to your life and all of the self-help that you've applied to, to your life, maybe it's Jesus who can bring to you the life that you desire. Maybe to give him ultimate value in your life. Maybe to worship him and no longer your own ideas or no longer your own thoughts, or your own principles. Because you see, worship is adoration plus action. It's seeing how good God is, and it is responding to that. And so we worship through our life. We worship through the things that we do and the things that we don't do. It's not just a thing we sing about. It's not just something we listen to. But when we leave this place here today, we live different because we have attributed ultimate value to Jesus. And let me just close really quick with just an image of kind of what I think this could look like. I think in the church community, I just see a day when we, we gather here together so excited to worship and to sing and to hear the word preached and to take communion together because of what God is doing personally in our lives throughout this week. I look forward to a day when like the testimonies are booming out, we're having to organize it because so many things are happening in the lives of people. I see a place where there's like this energy and we're like desiring to come together and we're like desiring to worship because of what God is doing in our life personally. And church, I just want to challenge you as we, as we close our time together this morning that let God be your ultimate value. And trust that as you worship him and as you honor him, that when you seek the kingdom first, that when you worship God, that all of these things will be added unto you. I believe God loves you and wants the best for you. I believe he has sent his son for you. And I believe that when we worship him as a living sacrifice, it is then and then only that do our hearts find rest and we find true joy in our hearts. Worship is the act of ascribing ultimate value to God in a way that engages your entire being. Would you pray with me at this time? Father, I thank you for who you are. I thank you, God, for your love for us. I thank you for your goodness. I thank you for your peace. God, I pray your peace and your love and your joy over every person who is here this morning. 
I ask God as we sing these songs and as we take communion, that Lord, we would be reminded of how much you love us and how good that you are. God, we worship you because you have done everything that you've ever said you would do. You have been faithful and you have been true even when we were not. In the midst of our failures, God, you have given us grace upon grace upon grace. And so in this moment, as we sing, as we take communion, we ascribe ultimate value to Jesus Christ. Lord, there's a lot of directions and ways we can go in this life. There's a lot of things that we can value. But we, as your church, we confess that we value you above everything else. We pray all these things in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.